Thanks. And it works. Look at that. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I've, I've got to tell you how much it means to me to come here. Um, I've just been looking forward to this. <laughs> Part of its random crossings with people and, <laughs> and everything. I ran to these guys at the airport <laughs> the other day. Um, part of it is deep long-term friendship. Part of it is uh, just the, the deepening, ever-deepening friendship. Uh, it, just means, it just means so much to get to fellowship with you. And uh, so I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, what I bring from Philippians is exactly what I bring to the men at the prisons. I'm not bringing you something new and different here. Um, so I actually hope... That I don't know how to convey it. I hope there can be a certain sense of fellowship in that. This, this was preached on Thursday. This was preached on Friday. They're human beings that very, very few get to see. But I get a chance each week, and this is what I brought. I hope there can be a little sense of, of fellowship in that. Um, they are... The, and I've, I've, I can just reflect on those two groups. They, those are the ones that happen to hear it on Thursday and, and Friday. But um, they're some of the most eager listeners you'll ever want to meet. Um, and I, I know Matt can testify to that because he's been a preacher to the eager listeners. Um, but it's, it's very real and it's very constant. It continues in the eager listening that, that I encounter. And I'm thankful for that. So I'm thankful to be with you. Um, thankful to interact on Philippians uh, chapter 2. Um, we are at verses 12 through 18. I've been with, with uh, the men with whom I work uh, in Philippians for a little more than a month now, so we've actually been you know, really going through chapter 1 in the beginning of chapter 2. And perhaps for introduction tonight, I can point to certain elements that I notice along the way, you know, and this is certain kind of a fast overview to get you to chapter 2, verse 12, <laughs> but elements that I notice along the way, and one of the outstanding initial ones in chapter 1 is camaraderie. There's a deep, intense camaraderie. Philippians was, I'm guessing, written just, I mean, with whatever research I've been able to look at, written maybe 61 A.D., um, so that's like 10 years after the church is planted. We know the Acts story and the planning of the church and the Philippian jailer and, and all those things. Um, but this is like 10 years later, and they're still really, really close. I mean, Paul's in Rome. He's imprisoned there. He's uh, in confinement of house arrest. He's sitting in chains, and he's got a guard next to him. And he feels so close as to these folks as to say, I have you in my heart. And he says, whether, whether I am you know, out there defending the gospel in this great you know, uh, adventure of it, or whether I'm confined in chains, what does he say in chapter 1? Let's get it in front of me. Um, uh, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending the, confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. The, the, the together sharing, we together have shared in this good thing, this grace of God through Jesus Christ, this forgiveness by his blood shed, we share in that. And because of that, we are bonded. There's a bond in there that's incredible. 
And he's writing to people, you know, 10 years later. <laughs> and he's that, that bonded with them. And he even says, and this is even a little bit, you know, there's a certain chuckle that comes to us in verse 8 in chapter 1, where he says, I long for you. I long, I'm going to do a really literal translation if you're ready for that. I long for you with the very guts of Jesus Christ, if you will. Right? Uh, I'll look at King James if you want to sometime on that one. <laughs> but, you know, it, right, it, from, from the depth of who I am. And knowing Christ's deep love from the inside to you, if you will, I long for you. I want to be with you. I want to work with you again. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in prison right now, but I want to work with you again. Um, with the very guts, if you were, of Jesus Christ, the 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 you know his uh, affections. But I, I think it's when you, when I say affection, that's a good translation, right? And that's translation all over the room. <laughs> but still, you got to get the guts word in there. <laughs> you know, it's it's from the from the deepest inside of who I am. I long for you, uh, and it it parallels Christ's love in that way. So that's one of the outstanding initial features of this thing. Um, another thing I notice is the, the encouragement he gives them at chapter 1, verse 6, where he tells them that the work God began to do in you, he, I'm confident, he will carry it to its completion to the very day of Christ. You and I live between now and the day of Christ, or the day that we meet him earlier than that, <laughs> you know. But, but he's confident that the Lord will carry them on. And it's the very theology and nature of the thing that we are not only left to our own bootstraps. Hang on as hard as you can if you let go, you're done. <laughs> you know, but who, who holds you in? Who carries you through into the end? Um, God does that, and he, he encourages them. There, I, one way I could describe some of these elements I'm trying to convey to you are that there's sort of perspective on the whole of our Christian lives things. We sharers in grace, we need the camaraderie that's spoken of here. We need to look toward one another with that sense of camaraderie. And in the prisons where I go, um, Christians are divided. They knock heads all the time. And they have to live in the sardine can, you know, together. Uh, other people out here just, just part ways, and we don't talk to each other, and you know, we don't have to worry about it. But in there, they are in the sardine can all the time, and, and I, I urge them with these words, there's a whole lot of investment of self-sacrifice and humility and grace and persistence and love and patience and all of that. And we've got to gain the sense that we together have received grace from God. And that, and that can really bond us together. So that's another perspective thing. Wonderful perspective at the, at the uh, beginning of this. Um, I see the apostle addressing them as persons who may be discouraged because of his imprisonment. And what would it be for the church that got planted by him to see him cooped up? like that what this great cause this great gospel is it is it failing in some respect here is something shutting down what if he gets out to this trial that he's appealed he made the appeal to caesar what if he gets all the way out there and is simply executed what by the way that's going to happen in six years when this is written six years 
you know, no, no longer, I think, after this is written. But in meanwhile, and while he's alive, and, and he, he'll probably get, well, no, he very seems definitely to have gotten out of this imprisonment. There's another imprisonment later. But he writes to them to say, know this. This confinement of mine, this circumstance of mine has not slowed down the gospel. And I'll tell you what, as I analyze it and contemplate it in faith, I realize that it has actually served to advance the gospel. That's, that's perspective for your circumstances, <laughs> if you will. Um, you know, the, the whole praetorium had heard about what this thing is, this Jesus and the whole deal. You know, the whole praetorium had heard, and Philippians actually mentions someone from the entourage of Caesar who um, is a saved person. You know, I don't know if that's one of the outer servants on the edge, but <laughs> it mentions somebody that way. Then this, even martyrdom itself, if it were to have occurred this time, we know it occurs later, we look backward. But even if it had occurred this time, because, I mean, who's on the throne, by the way? Who's, who's the emperor? Nero, and he's been on for a while. Uh, Nero is, what, 50, 58 to 68? No, 50, 57, 68, something like that. But he's, he's there long before 61, and he's an enemy to, you know, he's just a wretched, you know, individual that way. Um, fire of Rome's not till about 64, so, you know, the, some of that, some of the real famous intense persecutions. But remember this, that the apostle Paul in Philippi had been counted an enemy of Rome, and that's what they accused him of in the marketplace when he was stripped publicly and beaten and chucked into the jail in the feet and the stocks and, and all of that. That's, that's part of the picture there. It's a scary thing to be under Emperor Nero in Rome under these circumstances, you know, uh, and, and, and all, all that eventually brought him there. But that's, again, 10 years after the church was planted. Um, but even martyrdom itself would not be any failing of this cause. This cause, this gospel, this kingdom, this savior. Even martyrdom itself, he says, I don't even know what to choose, if you will. <laughs> you know, I, I desire to depart. I'll give you that. I desire to depart and be with the Lord because it's better by far than, than my next day here. <laughs> you know, better by far. It seems more necessary that I keep working with y'all, and that's why it seems like I'm going to stay. You know, I think that I'm pretty confident. He seems pretty confident, and that seems to be how it turned out. But it's perspective, perspective on life. This gospel, this great cause in which we have this shared experience and hope and, and the fact that nothing is slowing down, even with these you know, confinement circumstances, danger circumstances, nothing has slowed, you know, slowed it down. Nothing is failing in the gospel cause. Um, he speaks to them in, in Philippians in the chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. He's got really quite a lot of instruction about what Christian life ought to bear, what kind of fruit it ought to bear. It's really there quite a lot in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 1 is famous at verse 27. Whatever happens, you know, O only this, like of all these considerations that I might be killed and all that, only this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Only this. <laughs> so perspective-wise, he's given them very direct commands, you know, to, to live right, if you will. But it's on the ground of the very worthiness of this gospel. Let your life reflect its worth. And that's, that's the inspiration to obedience that's, that's part of this picture. And it's really constant. Inspiration to obedience. Because shortly he'll get to this place. Well, no, and, and you see him touching on it a couple of places. Even just after verse 27. He wants them to be unified while they represent this thing. And you just get this hint that there might be a little tension somewhere around the in there <laughs> you know he wants them to be unified in this you know um holding out the gospel and everything um he, he wants that in chapter two he's very direct with them he says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit i'm thinking there's some issues <laughs> You know, he's going to come right out with them, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your interests ought to be their interests first before your own. He talks to them like that, but he does so on the ground of a couple of things. Number one, all the mercies that they'd been on the receiving end of. Right? If you've got encouragement from being united with Christ, if there is comfort from being loved by Christ in forgiveness and all of that. If, and I'm just, I'm touching on chapter 2, verse 1, but if, there is, if there's fellowship with the Spirit, if there's tenderness, if there's mercies and compassions, all of these we've received, then do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's the, the inspiration to humility that arises out of a boatload of mercy that's already come your way. The second thing there is Christ's own dealings. Christ, who was, and, and I'll, I'll do the real plain kind of um, translation thing, Christ who was in form God took on form man, if you will. It's the same word. <laughs> you know, and people wonder, what, what is that all? Is it, does it mean he just kind of looks like God? He's like a statue or something, kind of looks like him? Not at all. The, the reasoning process for he who was form God took form man. That's what's going on. And your attitude, you ready for this? <laughs> your attitude ought to be the same. But it's not just, how should I say it? And I'm, I'm going to talk about it all the time. But um, it's not just the declaration of obligation. I mean, do we have obligations in the Christian faith? Of course we do. <laughs> but each time he's touching them, with the imperative, the command, he's giving them ground of faith, ground of hope, grounds of mercy, grounds of example, grounds of love for all of these things. Live in a manner that matches something about the worth of this mercy. You know, don't be, don't, don't be uh, selfishly ambitious over against another. Think of their interests rather than your own. Why? Because of all you've received in Christ. Think of what you've received. <laughs> Think of what he's done and everything. And then, you know, in the part of chapter 2, we're almost where the passage comes, by the way. We're almost there. <laughs> um, in chapter 2, he's basically talking about the the. the true greatness of Christ and the Father has set him in the greatest of all places if we're dealing with any issues of pride you know the Father set him in the very great greatest place that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow 
in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, our passage. You see? That's the, the, the reasoning process. You're going to be told to obey here a couple of ways, <laughs> whatever. But it's the therefore. It's like all this glorious gospel and hope, <laughs> you know, the, the wonder of what it is and the glory of this Savior and his dealings and, and everything. Therefore, my dear friends, this is verse 12, and this is, the, this is tonight's reading. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's walk through it piece by piece. When I, when I preach in the prisons, I preach interactively. So I'm, I'm constantly saying, you see those first words? Tell me what you see there. It's, it's like that. We might, may not be able to do that tonight. But, um, but anyway, <clears throat> just looking at those words. Therefore, my dear friends, there's that camaraderie and bond again. As you have always obeyed. Doesn't, don't those words speak pretty highly of Philippi Church? They, they do. There's grace there. Lots of it. The Lord has begun that good work. He's going to carry it to the end. Think of Philippi 2. They're a deeply supportive church. They've been supporting him for 10 years. There's a place at one thing during one season of Paul's life that he says to Philippi church, no one else was supporting me but y'all. <laughs> you know, like that. And just recently, and probably for months, maybe even more, they've sent someone, actually sent someone to, to, to go to Rome some few hundreds of miles away, a thousand by a boat, if you want to go that way <laughs> from, from there. Um, but they've sent someone, Epaphroditus, to, to be with and to watch out for and to take their gift and to make sure he has what he needs under house arrest. It's a rented house. Who's going to pay for that? Not the state. <laughs> you know, It's not Rome paying for that one. <laughs> it's friends paying for that and they've cared for him and they've obeyed and they've they've come along so as you have always obeyed um, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence um, I, it seems important to touch on that his presence or his absence because there's something that that happens with which I think you're familiar if you are with someone that you have a, a really high regard for someone that you count to be uh, a person of, of honor and quality and, and all that kind of thing. You're not as likely when you're with them to do stupid stuff in their presence. <laughs> you know, uh, 
snapping at somebody when you just lost your temper or whatever. Well, with the, if the honored person is next to you, <laughs> right? if the, if the, well, let's imagine this. Let's imagine um, uh, my mother, right, standing here. If she's here, I'm not as likely to snap. I'm just not as likely to snap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, because I have high regard for her. She's loved me all her life. And she is a godly woman and full of grace. I'm not as likely to be stupid <laughs> next to her because of that, that, that honor and understanding. So that, that's all good, Paul being there. But it's, it's yet even, even deeper and wonderful to see them grow where they don't just follow Christ when he's there in town. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing for them to, to grow up into there. Now much more in my absence. Um, he says, work out your salvation. And I think in this room, we're probably pretty familiar with the idea that it's not so people work for your salvation. Work hard. I hope you get it. It's not that. <laughs> right? Not work for your salvation. You've been granted salvation. Now live this thing out. That's, you know, work out your salvation. And then these interesting words. You ready for the end of verse uh, 12 there? This is what I do to the men. I say, look at the end of verse 12. What do you see on the page? <laughs> Are you ready? Work it out with fear and trembling. Okay? What, what are we as believers, what's, what's a healthy, healthy, healthy thing to do with those words? Because they're teaching us, right? You, imperative, uh, me, Mr. McCracken, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, there are some unhealthy things that can happen with fear that don't match the truth about the character of God. There are some unhealthy things. Some unhealthy things would include this, to think that he, um, to think that the Lord must be done with me, no more mercy could come, while you're still living and breathing, to come to a conclusion of despair and say, he must, he, it, pro it probably wouldn't happen that he could have mercy. That would be a wrong kind of fear, a wrong kind of trembling at God. To, to think that God would ever do anything unjust or, or like that or, or uh, stop keeping a promise or, or any of their un things that could uh, do that. So not despair, not the sense that God might do something evil or, or contrary or, or wrong or might not keep a promise. Those are, those are the kinds of fears. But there, having put those on one side, there is something healthy to think about here. Something deeply healthy. This helps us live on in the salvation given. Something helpful. And, um, and I, I, I'll make a short mention of the idea that sometimes we want to back off of the tremble factor, <laughs> right? Don't want to make all those mistakes over there. So let's not talk about trembling. God's our buddy and we're good. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it just, it's, it's, it's not going to be a matter. I don't know. I think sometimes that's avoided. Sometimes. But to talk about its healthiness, I actually want to do so by way of illustration tonight. Um, 
Have, have, have any of the uh, children read the C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicle of Chronicles of Narnia? Have you read those or been, been there? Okay. Have you, have you, you know, read the books, seen the movies, anything like that? Read them out loud? Anybody? Chronicles of Narnia? Okay. All right. Um, Lewis wrote another book that you probably are less familiar with, and it's a little bit harder. It's, just a, it's, a, it's another book like that, but it's just a little bit harder. But this book called Paralandra has one illustration that had just swept me away when, when I saw it, Paralandra. So let me give you some story, okay? So in Paralandra, it's just a story, right? It's just an illustration. But in Paralandra, there's a man, the guy who's supposedly writing the story, who, who um, hears from a friend that this friend has encountered another realm and beings from this other realm that are like angelic. They're, they're fascinating beings. And he's encountered these beings. And this guy is just consumed with the possibility of actually encountering that realm and those beings. Let's call those beings the Eldil, you know, because that's what he calls them in the book, right? All right. So he's just fascinated and everything. But in that fascination, he's also afraid. He's afraid to see one of these things or encounter the other, you know, the other side, the, the realm beyond, you know, kind of thing. But there's this encounter that his friend and he had talked about. And so he's going to the friend's house like there might be a real possibility somewhere out there or some way out there at the house to see this thing, one of these things, one of these beings, Right? And as he goes to the house, it's, I think it's darkening in the evening. I have to remember all of it. I think it's darkening in the evening as he goes. And he, he is so frightened, so frightened, that it's almost like his world is closing in around him. Anybody seen Lord of the Rings and when the, when the black riders come and the world seems to close in around you, the whole perspective changes? That's how Lewis describes this, this sense of fear that he had going, Right? And he gets to the house, and there's a note on the door, and he's got to light a little match or something to find out what the note says, and his friend is not home. <laughs> so he's really scared. <laughs> he's really scared. I might, I might go in there and meet who knows what <laughs> when I get in there, right? And, 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 and he does. He actually, the door, I said open, I forget. I'm trying to, trying to remember what the door is right open. But anyway, it goes like this. Now I'm quoting I saw the thing I had so feared to see. All those doubts which I had before as to whether these creatures were friend or foe had for the moment vanished. My fear was now of another kind. I felt sure that the creature was what we call good. But I wasn't sure I liked goodness as much as I had supposed. This is a very terrible experience. As long as you're afraid of something evil, you may still hope that good may come to your rescue. And here at last was a bit from that world beyond the world, which I had supposed that I loved and desired, breaking through and appearing to my senses. And I didn't like it. I wanted it to go away. I wanted every possible distance, gulf, curtain, blanket, and barrier to be placed between it and me. And oddly enough, my very sense of helplessness saved me and steadied me. I love that illustration. Because <laughs> here's what, I mean, here's what's going on. He's, he's encountered, and this is just in the story, I realize that, but he's encountered something that is good. But he's afraid, still, 
probably because he's not entirely good, <laughs> you know. And what I, I thought I'd always long to desire and see that, now I'm afraid, you know, whatever. Um, the idea of trembling before God is related directly to the fact that he is perfectly good. There's no evil in him at all. And every character in the Bible, I think, everyone, I think it's everyone, that has any kind of immediate encounter where the Lord sort of manifests himself right there. Do you remember what happens to them? What happens to them? Every character just about like Daniel and those, yeah, they fall down or they're, they're afraid, you know, and whatever. And it's not because God is going to be unjust and it's not because he's not going to be merciful and not because of these things, but just because he is purely holy. What are we saying tonight? <laughs> holy, holy, holy. He's, he's pure and he's holy. And I think what this is telling us is, is not to um, cringe before someone who might be cruel. It's not telling us that. It's telling us that he is purer than we have yet known. <laughs> purer than we have yet known. And somehow to get acquainted by the word with this purer than we have yet known is part of something healthy about living out the salvation we've been given. He's greater, purer. Um, if he were at my side, oh, wait a minute, he is. <laughs> right? He would be the one of honor next to whom I wouldn't want to do this stupid thing. You know? Um, or the corrupt thing, the harmful thing, the cruel thing. Uh, and, and in fact, he is with God with us in Christ. God with us by the Spirit. He's with us. So, yes, that's a little bit of trembling. <laughs> yes, that's good. And, and I, you know, I, I, I tell the men, and I'm, I'm with them, I'm there, I'm here with, with you and whatever. I have to, I have to really, really um, truthfully say, I need to learn that. I need to learn that. My, my living out for his glory's sake and his grace's sake, this will be good for my soul to, to discover evermore the, uh, the greater purity than, than I have yet known uh, like that. Then watch this also. Encouragement immediate. Encouragement next door in verse 13. <laughs> right? So with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God at work in you. And I, I think the two categories mentioned are really important. I mean, this is, this is important to get some precise definition here. He, 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 he's at work in you to, what, what do you got on the page? Go ahead, answer out loud, go ahead. It's, it's verse 13. He's, he's at work in you to, to will and to act. Even, even in the deciding function, even in the choosing function, <laughs> what do you do when you choose to do with something that's right or something that's not the choosing function? He's at work in you to will and to act. 
And I, 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 what, I, what I gave to the men is something I give to you. Um, I, I liked what you've done with the making the, um, and what we've done at the pastor's meeting, what you just did here, that we put a scripture forward and we can pray that or whatever. Here, when you think of verse 13 in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, and you'd like to pray something in accord with it, um, try, try this, write it down if you like. Uh, pray Psalm 119, verses 33 through 37. Okay? And I want to read that. I want to read that. Psalm 119, 33 to 37. Because if you're saying, what does it mean that he's at work in my will and to act and, and those kinds of things? What does that mean? Pray in this manner. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I'll keep them to the end. Teach me the statutes. I, you know, so he's, he's longing to keep them, keep them to the end. Uh, but it's teach me, Lord. And that's not just douse me with data. It's not just give me the information and then I'm going to be good. I'll, get, I'll keep it to the end. Teach me. You've got to teach the soul in a thing like that. <laughs> you know, that this is that teaching that, that is, is how teaching gets all the way to the soul. And then this, verse 34, give me understanding and I'll keep your law. Indeed, I'll, I'll observe it my whole life, with my whole heart. Give me understanding. Understanding occurs at the very core of who we are. <laughs> understanding. It's not just information. Right? Understanding. Um, so give me understanding. To, to know that you may address God directly to say, teach me. Give me understanding is heartening, I think. And that's why I bring it forward. How about this? Verse 35. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments. That's like actions, right? Make me to walk. That's a legit prayer. Make me to walk. <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's involved. He's, he's involved in the core of who you are. The Holy Spirit opening eyes, opening heart, bringing conviction, um, breaking our hearts uh, so that we may turn away from sin and turn toward him and walk in his ways. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Verse 36. How, how close to the core is verse 36 when it says incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. We know covetousness. We know that, the sensation of it, the, the craving for it. But he says, deal with me right here in the inclination of my heart. To what am I inclined? Work with me, God. That's a, that's a legit prayer. <laughs> Work with me on that. And then, uh, 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Two major things there. Um, the, the matter of what's worthy or worthless. But the, the idea of turning eyes from it is not just um, physical, mechanical. You know, give me 42 degrees this way and then I won't work. I won't worry about it. He's, he's speaking really to the issues of what we crave. Turn my eyes from the worthless. He's really talking right down to the core of the issue of what we crave. Turn my eyes from the worthless and revive me in your way. Revive is a word that has life in it in the root. <laughs> give, give me, again, life in your way. And I, so I just think to, to pray that. 
to pray that. We have to do that at our pastor's group. <laughs> Pick Psalm 119, 33 to 37 and revive me in your way. And so I got, kind of got on that one, got rolling on that one. Um, just, just briefly, I, a little bit more briefly at the end. Um, right, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. I think I hear him, if I just do that. <laughs> I think I hear him touching on something he's touched on two or three other times and will touch on yet again. Okay, I think in patterns that I'm watching, I'm seeing him touch on things. In his own situation in Rome, there were persons who were rival preachers. That was his own situation, and he's mentioned it. He's told them to be unified as you represent this thing. He's told them no selfish ambition, no vain conceit. Now, don't complain, don't argue. <laughs> I think they're related. I'm thinking they're related. All of these things. And later on, there's, there's a couple of people that have been having difficulty with each other and he's going to work with them. You know, and, and all of that. All of this seems to be of, of a piece there. Do everything without complaining or arguing. But then I want, I want you to, to feel and be encouraged by the... the uh, he, he gives them heartening things to think about. Certainly they have the obligation. Hey, Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Okay, okay, okay. But, but listen to the glory of what he describes so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. You see where he's going with that, to lift him up into it? He's going that way. And then watch this, um, verse 15. Without fault, where? Where does he place them? And I, I, I wouldn't mind if you don't have to answer out loud, but I wouldn't mind if you look down at the second half of verse 15. Um, Without fault, where? In a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like luminaries in the cosmos. I'm doing the Greek translation thing. Luminaries in the cosmos. So it might just simply be the light in the world. It could be that. Or it could be stars in the universe, however you want. You know, but the, the whole idea is you have opportunity as recipients of grace to bring light into a dark place. By the way, that preaches where I go. Because they feel the dark place. And it's not, it's not sort of in kind any less dark here. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, out here in, the, in society than there. But they feel it. And they know it. And, and it's something I hope heartening, I hope encouraging to them and to us to say you have an opportunity to bring light into a dark and, and twisted place. And, and I think he's encouraging them as he commands them. He would like to boast on the day of Christ that he didn't run for nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I don't think it's a bad kind of boasting. The word boast in the, in, in the language can, can be just simply translated exult. On the day of Christ, I want to, I want to break out in exaltation given the fact that I work with y'all. You know, it's not like I want to. I want some recognition there when I get to the day of Christ. It's not, I don't think it's that at all, right? But but on that day, I don't. I don't want to get there and say I work for nothing. <laughs> I would like to break out rejoicing, and exulting <coughs> in all that this has happened. Again, he's uh, he's confined now. He may die, but look, he says, even if I am being poured out. I could use the word expended. 
if it, if it comes to that, even if I'm being poured out, and it will come to that, on what? On the sacrifice and surf com service coming from your faith, as long as long as from you comes worship to God, as long as from you comes service. <laughs> I'm glad. Expend me, that's okay. <laughs> you know, um, and you should be glad too. I love the way he talks to them, <laughs> right? Look, look, you know my situation. You might even be depressed about my situation. But I'm glad. I got perspective. <laughs> and I want you to be glad. I want you to walk strong. They were threatened too. Do you know that they were threatened too? Uh, I mean, he, he says, you experienced the same kinds of things you saw I had. And he's talking about when he was chucked in jail there. You've experienced those kinds of things. And you've experienced the same kind of thing you see I have, my conflicts now. So Philippi is not a safe place for them. But he wants them strong. He wants them full of joy, progress in their faith, joy in their faith. And now you just got all uh, five weeks of sermons. Thank you uh, for that. Um, but I'm encouraged by that. I hope you are too. Let's, uh, let's pray together, okay? Lord, uh, lift us up. Lift this group up. I pray that in this room there would be encouragement. Uh, persons, your word speaking, your spirit speaking, so that we would know just how great your glory is, how good you are, how worthy is this gospel and our Savior, and that we might enter in with the uh, breath of life that you give. And Lord, I fully admit that I need a better acquaintance with your purity. And I pray for us, together all, that we would know you are present, know we live every day immediately in front of your face, with us, with us. And that's good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.